follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Well, today we're going to talk about the uh, dicey subject of PIs behaving badly. And this is regarding the Rupert Murdoch scandal. The final edition of Rupert Murdoch's News of the World was published July 10th, 2011. Taken down by a scandal, this popular reg published news for 168 years. It's just amazing, 168 years. The scandal started around 2007, rumors that reporters from the newspapers used private investigators to illegally access mobile voicemail accounts to scoop stories. In 2008, one reporter resigned, and then the paper's royal correspondent uh, then pled guilty to illegal interception of personal communication that same year. There were more rumors and then denials from those at World News, more and more information leaked out, and then it was discovered that even management knew of the practice. And I know you've probably all read the news articles about this crazy uh, scandal that just unfolded and unraveled day by day. Finally, the doors closed. And now, months later, four private investigators from the UK have been sentenced for gaining confidential information. They used a tech called blagging. I think I'm pronouncing that right. My guest will correct me if I'm not. Uh, in the U.S., we call this pretexting, and it's illegal uh, in some respects here as well. Today, distinguished private investigator Alan Marr is joining us to discuss the twists and turns of the amazing downfall of this publishing giant and those facts surrounding those who brought it down. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Let uh, me just – I'm go, sorry, go ahead. Okay, I'm just saying it's a beautiful afternoon here in London. <laughs> it's a beautiful afternoon, and I love hearing that. A beautiful afternoon, no rain, sunshine in London. It's wonderful. Yes. So yes. let me tell you about Alan. Alan served his law enforcement career with London's Metropolitan Police, both in uniform and plain clothes. Then he was posted to New Scotland Yard's headquarters as a senior investigator. He retired as an inspector in 1991 and opened his own private investigation agency, which is called Jigsaw Services. Alan is a free man of the City of London and the Worshipful uh, Company of Security Professionals. He's a fellow, a past principal, and a life member of the Institute of Professional Investigators. That's in the UK. 
He is both past president and past chairman of the Council of International Investigators, a worldwide investigation uh, association. He has received the prestigious Malcolm Thomas Memorial Award from the Council, as well as its Meritorious Service Award. He's a member of the Association of British Investigators, the National Association of Retired Police Officers, and is the founder and past chairman of the Lynn Mountain Rescue Team, which we will talk about just a little bit in a second. Um, so, and Alan is joining us from the UK, and welcome. Hi, I'm uh, sitting here. 22 miles from uh, Westminster. Uh, it's countryside. It's a beautiful afternoon. Uh, and we could do with some of your rain. Uh, yes, I'm in, uh, of course, California. And it's been raining buckets for a couple of days here. So uh, we've just traded weather, I guess it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, Alan, tell us, um, you went into the London Metropolitan Police Force. What, what year was that? Uh, I went in as a, a cadet in 1959. Um, initially, I wanted to go into the army, and I went to the army recruiting office and uh, had a chat to them. And the, the sergeant said, uh, "Spell maneuver." Uh, so I went into <laughs> the police, police force. <laughs> police force doesn't do maneuvers. So um, yeah, I started as a cadet at 17. Uh, two years as a cadet, and then at 19, uh, that was in uh, 1961, uh, I became a, a constable, and it's traditional that you have to walk the beat for a couple of years uh, to learn the trade. Um, in those days, uh, it was the only thing you had was a, a truncheon in your pocket. We didn't have radios then. Hmm. Uh, and uh, to uh, contact uh, another police officer, you had to blow a whistle. So uh, that's all we were equipped with. And I started off in Belgravia, Chelsea, and uh, Pimlico. Uh, and uh, from there, I went into plain clothes. Uh, after a couple of years, and uh, gradually switched backwards and forwards between uniform and uh, uh, plain clothes for the rest of my service. Now, is a constable uh, with the con- a constable is the same as a police officer in the United States? Yes, it, it, it's the first rank. Yes, the first rank. Okay. Yeah. And and I think probably everybody knows that in the UK you don't have you don't carry weapons. No. no. And and is that Everybody in the police department? No, there are some specialist officers that do carry weapons. Those that are looking after embassies, uh, there are always uh, a number of uh, patrol cars with weapons on board. Should it be necessary to call call them up? Okay. Um, but generally, no. Ninety-eight uh, percent of the police officers are not armed. And then, do you uh, do you travel two together, or are you by yourself? Uh, initially, we used to travel on our own. Um, really? These these days, they tend to travel in pairs. Yes. I see. Okay. All right. And then, um, then you became an inspector. Yes. Correct. Um, and, and is that a, like a detective? Yes, it, it's it's right. There's there's constable, sergeant, then inspector. Uh, so I was uh, an inspector. Um, it, and as an inspector, I, I changed between uniform and uh, uh, plain clothes, CID work, 
Um, a number of times I was uh, asked to go to Scotland Yard as a senior investigator, uh, and I worked on various uh, uh, departments at uh, Scotland Yard. Uh, well, Scotland Yard is actually just the headquarters building for the Metropolitan Police. I was just going to ask you to explain that because I know yeah. there's a lot of confusion, certainly yes. in the United States, a lot of confusion about the connection between the London Metropolitan Police and Scotland Yard. Okay, well, when the police force in London was started in 1829, um, they had an office um, in Westminster and Lots of places in the Westminster area were palaces and there was a palace for the kings and queens of Scotland, uh, St. James's Palace, there are lots of palaces around Westminster which was the, the meeting point if you like mm-hmm. um, and their office, the police office, opened on to the yard of Scotland Palace so it's called Scotland Yard. I see. Um, and that's that's where it started. It's we're now in the the third building. Uh, the s- second building was taken over by um, uh, members of parliament as a, because it was right opposite Big Ben. So that's now uh, being used for members of parliament's uh, meeting rooms. Um, so we've got an office block which we took in about 1967 um, in Victoria. Mm. And it's, that's just called New Scotland Yard. I see. Well, you know, that's interesting. So the, so when we talk about Scotland Yard, that's actually headquarters for the Metropolitan Police. Just a Police. building. Yep. A building. Yep. It's just a building, yeah. And, and your wife, Vicky, was also with the Metropolitan Police. She was. She was. She retired six years ago. Uh, she was considerably higher in rank than I was. Uh, she left as uh, a chief superintendent, borough commander. Uh, it would be something like um, being in charge of uh, the Bronx or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. a, a big area. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, because my orientation about uh, Scotland Yard, of course, is Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson. So <laughs> it's very helpful to, to know that uh, relationship. Because we yeah. have, I think we all have a different impression of who Scotland Yard is. It has this yes, kind of mystical uh, flavor yes. about it. Well, I, I'm quite pleased about that because uh, it's always something to talk about, isn't it? Yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so then uh, you decided to retire then. Yep. I, my first two years as a cadet doesn't count towards a pension. Uh, but at uh, 30 years service, you can retire and take a pension. So I retired in 91, in June 91, mm-hmm. uh, and took my pension. And I, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, I... I wasn't sure that I wanted to go into security or, or that sort of field. Uh, so I went along to one of these courses that, you know, start your own business type thing. And uh, they said, well, really, you should do what you know best. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what do I know best? And I, they said, well, do the bits that you enjoyed. Well, I enjoyed arresting people, taking <laughs> statements, in- interviewing, all that sort of thing. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. So they said, well, create a business around that. So uh, that's what made me uh, start uh, as an investigator. And how do you go about starting an investigation company in London? Well, the the, the main thing is 
you think your clients are going to be solicitors. Uh, where I live, um, I decided to draw a circle around uh, on a map of, say, five miles from where I live and see how many solicitors there were. Mm-hmm. So there were 80 firms of solicitors within five miles of where I live. So that's fine. So I went out to 10 miles, and I'm now taking in parts of southwest uh, London. And there were 2,200 firms of solicitors within 10 miles of where I am. And hmm. I thought, gosh, if they all gave me one job a year, I'd be sunk. You know. So <laughs> I went back down to... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I ought to explain. Solicitors are lawyers, yeah, attorneys. Yes, right. Yeah, okay. And you, right. and 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 there, there's a difference between barristers and solicitors. Yes, bar- barristers uh, are a higher level and only deal with um, higher courts. Uh, a solicitor can act in a lower court, which is a magistrate's court. I see. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, I went back to sort of. A, about a hundred solicitors uh, around my area, and I think when you're you're trying to project yourself, I, I mean, I was the product, um, and you can't say to a solicitor, "Look, I can do everything." You know, I'm an ex-police officer; I can do everything, mm-hmm. be- be- because actually I can't. You know, mm-hmm. I have to get my wife to put the film in the camera for me sometimes. <laughs> you know. um, so uh, <laughs> that's when we had film. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can handle a camera now. Um, yeah, so so I, I approached it slightly differently. I I, I wrote to the hundred solicitors uh, and said, uh, "I'm thinking of starting this business." Um, I did it on domestic-headed notepaper. Um, what sort of service would you like? You are the customer. You tell me what you want. What a great uh, idea. And I, as an incentive, I said I will donate £25 to a charity you nominate for the first uh, one drawn out of a helmet on such and such a date. Uh-huh. So I then got 33 replies. Now, really? normally on a letter shoot, people expect about 2%. I got 33 replies. So initially, I had 33 firms of solicitors to go to talk to. So then I wrote out, uh, wrote to the 100 again and said, Tim Fearon of Fearon & Co. Woking has had £25 donated to uh, the Red Cross. Really? Um, thank you, you for... You sent this out to everybody. Everybody again, yep. I then got letters from people who hadn't sent the pro forma back to me uh, saying, thank you very much. This is a very novel approach. Please come and see us. So... Hang, I, Alan, I, hang on to that thought. We need to take a quick break, but this is fascinating. Okay. We'll be right, right back with private investigator Alan Marr. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
need to hire a private investigator, ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We veered a little away from the original topic here, but uh, British private investigator Alan Marr has just been telling us how he built his original business. I found it fascinating. So, Alan, go ahead. You you uh, sent out these letters, and then yeah. what happened? Um, yeah, I, I sent out the letters. Uh, I got 33 uh, replies. I then sent out to the 100 again. Uh, and I got replies from people who hadn't sent uh, a performer back to me uh, because I'd approached it differently. I'd approached it from the point of view that they are the customer. What do they want? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what can I give them. Uh, my, my business expanded, uh, and I had to move out of the house and take an office. Uh, I had seven people working for me and we started to specialize in surveillance for uh, insurance companies. You know, somebody's got a bad back, can't walk, work, that sort of uh, insurance claim. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, you've got to approach things differently. Most insurance companies already have uh, private investigators on their books that do surveillance for them. So if you're coming into this business, it's very difficult to get your foot into the door. Mm-hmm. But there's another way because um, surveillance can be for many other different reasons. Uh, near here, I'm about 20 minutes from Heathrow Airport. Uh, there are lots and lots of logistics companies and warehouses here. Uh, and there's theft all the mm-hmm. time, especially mm-hmm. night time, when a member of staff puts a, a box of shoes into the boot of his car. So you need to go and be proactive. You need to watch uh, and video this sort of thing going on and then take it to the owner of the premises and say, I can spot this 
theft. Here's an example of uh, uh, one of your staff stealing goods. Um, mm-hmm. Put me on a retainer. Um, again, uh, building sites. Uh, the carpenter comes in on a, a Saturday morning to allegedly finish a job uh, and takes a lot of plumbing equipment home with him. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. You, you've got to be proactive. The insurance market is pretty well uh, closed up for people who begin afresh. So yeah. just you've got to think outside the box. You've got to think differently. And how long did you continue to send as you got uh, uh, as you contributed to somebody's choice? How long did you continue to send out those letters? Uh, I only did it once, uh, and that gave me the initial start. Uh-huh. Uh, I then realised that um, there's more power in a business card. Uh, my business card is distinctive. It has a, a jigsaw piece on it, um, and people remember, remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, why did I choose jigsaw? <laughs> well, you're looking for the missing bit or, or the making the picture complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the reason I called it that. Um, yeah, so uh, my, my business expanded, and uh, I found that networking was uh, – one of the best ways of uh, expanding the business uh, and the power of the, the business cards. Business cards I've handed out have come back to me six years later mm. and I've got a job out of it. That's know. great. So it, it's very important to make yourself known and to belong to organizations um, so that you can exchange work. So that's why I joined a number of organizations, um, and I suppose I was silly enough to uh, volunteer to be on committees and things, and eventually I ended up uh, as being president or chairman right. <laughs> of a, but, a couple of them. Yeah. And I have to ask you about the Lynn Mountain Rescue Team, because... Uh, 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 it's, it's line. <laughs> L-Y-N-E. Oh, line. L-Y-N-E, L-Y-N-E. okay. Line, yeah. and, and tell us about that. Well... The Lion Mountain Rescue Team raises money for local charities, um, and uh, I called it the Lion Mountain Rescue Team so that people would ask, uh, what's that all about? <laughs> because, because there is no mountains in the UK. <laughs> there, there's, there isn't a mountain within 100 miles of here. Uh, Lion is the, the village in, in which I live in, uh, and the local pub is the Royal Marine. It's got a bit of a slope on the car park. And, um, <laughs> it's hardly a mountain. Um, so, no, it's, it's just a really silly, silly name, uh, and it's uh, something to start people talking to you about. Um, and then you, you ask them to uh, help with uh, raising money for charities. We started off uh, roasting pig, a pig uh, on an open fire. Uh, and that's that's pretty good. That's uh, very good f- fundraising uh, stuff. So um, yeah, it, it's uh, we've raised probably about fifty thousand pounds in the last few years, uh, and given it out um, in, in small amounts sometimes to local charities that are really appreciative. Well, you're you're obviously very creative. You know, creativity must have carried over not only <laughs> with the London Metropolitan Police Department, but also in your own business. I'm, fabulous ideas uh, on both of those. Both of those are, are great ideas. So, yeah. so let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened at 
the world news paper. So I'll let you, I'll let you start. Okay. Um, this really started to uh, show itself in about uh, 2006, 2007. Um, initially, there was an inquiry by the Metropolitan Police, uh, and uh, that resulted in an investigator being arrested um, and charged. Uh, also, uh, a, a, a second uh, person who was not a private investigator, well, he... He, he, no, that's wrong. Sorry. The the first person arrested was the royal uh, editor, mm-hmm. uh, Clive Goodman. Um, he was uh, arrested, and the private investigator was Glenn Mulcair. Uh, they were charged, um, and it became apparent that there was more phone hacking. Uh, going on uh, and uh, Mulcair had kept a record of the contacts he'd had with the news of the world and uh, the uh, details of uh, celebrities and personalities uh, phones that had been hacked into including royalty was that um, was that the first news that came out or were there were there rumors running about the UK before that? Yeah, uh, a rival newspaper, The Guardian, had sort of uh, uh, made allegations in the paper that the news of the world was hacking uh, into uh, people's phones. Uh, And that's really what started it. Um, And there was an inquiry by the Metropolitan Police, and it became clear that it was bigger than uh, initially thought. Well, uh, to, to go back to just a little of the history of the News of the World, um, from what I've read, it was actually uh, launched in 1843, which is, I think, just uh, phenomenal that something like this could take down a 168-year-old newspaper. It was actually um, it was actually started as a broadsheet by a yes. guy named Bell. Yep. Yeah, it, it had a circulation of 2.8 million which uh, is is pretty good. Uh, it published on a Sunday, and it it mainly dealt with sex scandals. Uh, yeah, it had an ex- a reputation for exposing y- yes. celebrities and yeah. as all kinds of things, drug users, yes, criminals. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, but now, uh, apparently, um, the police believe that there are 6,349 potential victims of hacking. In, in the UK. Well, I so, did read yeah. that, yeah, the attorneys for the victims, the alleged victims, are uh, said about 7,000. So that's the actual number then, 6,000 mm, yeah. something. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it's huge. It is uh, huge. But, but, but the spin-offs uh, are quite incredible because um, the police commissioner, Sir Paul Stevenson, uh, uh, had to resign Um because he'd employed uh, an ex-News uh, of the World editor, uh, Neil Wallace, as an advisor uh, at Scotland Yard. Oh, my uh, and and the, the relationship was too close, uh, and therefore it was decided that he should, he, she should resign. Uh, other senior officers have also resigned uh, because uh, the first inquiry, um, which resulted in the first arrests, didn't continue. They stopped it. Uh, the basis why they stopped it 
was that we'd had the bomb attacks in London um, on the underground on the buses mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, I think it was 2006. And um, really, Scotland Yard's energy was towards terrorism. Nobody was being injured with uh, the phone hacking. Um, and it was given a far less uh, priority than um, perhaps it should have been given. But uh, in hindsight, it's easy to say we should have done uh, more. Well, of course, the whole world at that time was um, focused on terrorism, as well it still is, actually. Yeah, yeah. So um, inquiries have continued, uh, and uh, that's resulted in a number of uh, uh, members of the News of the World staff being arrested, um, Rebecca Brooks, the uh, chief executive, uh, has been arrested. And, and, and yeah, and, and just again yesterday, just yesterday. Yeah, yeah, she was arrested for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice, which seems to indicate that she has been trying to hide uh, information that would have been uh, of assistance to the police. But again, there's a twist in the tale here. The Metropolitan Police... Uh, have horses, and when the horse is due to retire, they let members of the public um, who are vetted and uh, uh, to look after the horse uh, at their own expense. And uh, the police horse is, is given to them as a sort of loan. And Rebecca Brooks was loaned a, a Metropolitan Police horse. Mm. And it turns out that the Prime Minister, David Cameron, who lives near or his, his private home is near Rebecca Brooks in the Cotswolds. He has ridden <laughs> the, the police horse. Oh, the, no. Uh, oh, it, it's, it's just going in all sorts of directions at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's really to do with uh, the closeness of the police to the press, the relationship, um, how close should you be, and what information can you give legitimately. All right. We need to take another break, Alan. Um, we're discussing PIs behaving badly, the Rupert Murdoch scandal. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. 
IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, private investigator Alan Marr from the United Kingdom, has been talking about the downfall of the Murdoch News of the World and the part private investigators played in that downfall. And you were just talking about, we were just discussing the uh, re-arrest of former News International Executive Rebecca Brooks. And uh, we didn't mention that, but her, her husband was also, uh, he's a racehorse trainer, was also arrested. And go ahead with that because it looks like everybody that's, that, that, is connected with Rebecca Brooks or any of this is being tainted. Yeah, um, there's, there's twists and turns in, in the story, really. Uh, Rebecca Brooks uh, lives near the Prime Minister's uh, uh, personal home in the Cotswolds. Um, her husband's a, a, a trainer of horses and um, the Metropolitan Police have horses and when the horse is due to retire, they are given on loan to people who uh, are vetted as uh, being responsible and uh, able to look after the horses and they are, they have to pay the, for the feed and uh, veterinary charges, but they ha- they're given a police horse. Uh, mm-hmm. Rebecca Brooks was given one, uh, and it's just been revealed that even Dave, the Prime Minister David Cameron, uh, has written it. <laughs> so, so. Oh my goodness! And so I just and I just read an article that says at this point, uh, the Metropolitan Police say that 23 people have been arrested yes. as part of this inquiry so yes. far. It's 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 snowballing. Um, it, after the initial uh, inquiry, obviously there were moves to try to cover up. Uh, and I, I don't think it's just the news of the world. I think virtually every uh, newspaper has done this at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, they they usually hire uh, a private investigator and try to get the private investigator to to do do the background work for them. Which is what's what's happened in this case, really? Right. And and you uh, on the break, you cleared something up for me because I thought the four men that were just sentenced in February uh, for blagging, and you can talk talk about what blagging is, um, for blagging were connected to the 
news of the world, but evidently not. No, the, the four recently convicted um, were, in fact, uh, blagging, as, as you put it. Uh, blagging is social engineering, pretexting, uh, pretending to be the, the uh, owner of a, a bank account, uh, wanting details of that bank account, uh, and by using pretext, trying to persuade people to give you information that they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Um, and that's what the four recently were arrested for. Um, basically, they're data th- thieves, really. I think um, <laughs> I think it's interesting that you use the term social engineering. Uh, it sounds uh, it sounds important, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, essentially, it's just people getting information they um, yeah. wouldn't otherwise be able to get. And and the downside is that when there are investigators working on cases involving fraud. Um, you know, whether it be workers' comp fraud or or um, defrauding a, a company in other ways, the only way you're often going to get information is through some kind of a pretext. That's that's right. Um, but you know, you, you're putting yourself uh, in a dangerous position, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Uh, uh, none of the people arrested so far have belonged to uh, any British. Um, private investigation organisations. Uh, there are th- three main ones in the UK. There's the Institute of Professional Investigators, Association of British Investigators, and the World Association of Private Investigators. They're the three main ones uh, in in the UK, and they've given evidence, uh, oral evidence, to the uh, judicial inquiry which is going on at the moment. Uh, the Right Honourable Lord uh, Justice. Uh, Leveson um, is inquiring into the uh, hacking scandal and these uh, British organisations of private investigators have given evidence to that uh, um, inquiry uh, and uh, there's also been a parliamentary home affairs select committee uh, discussing private investigators and whether they should be constrained in some way. Here in the UK, we don't have licensing at all at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a Act of Parliament was uh, introduced, the Private Security Act, uh, in 2001, uh, with a view to regulating the security industry in total. And, and we are included as part of the uh, security industry. So how so, Alan? How would that um, how would that change if you had licensing in the UK? If if prior to this scandal, if there had been licensing, what would have been different? Well, it, it's very difficult to stop pretexting. Um, if you made it a, a criminal offence. Uh, to pretext as as you have uh, it as an offence, um, then uh, you you would lose your license mm-hmm. uh, quite simply. Um, I don't think you'd you'd stop it entirely though. Uh, I I welcome uh, licensing and I've been chairman of a committee. Um, negotiating with the security industry authority to get licensing. They didn't see 
private investigators as uh, an immediate threat. Uh, and it's now, only now really, that it's, it's looking at us uh, as if we need to be licensed. Initially, they just licensed um, security guards and uh, nightclub door bouncers and wheel mm-hmm. clampers, uh, close protection people, uh, and we're the last. And um, there's, there's, there hasn't been uh, any need or any rush to license us. Um, we don't even know how many uh, private investigators there are in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, if you add those that are in organisations, then we we could be about 2,000. But if uh, you look at the broader picture, you look at yellow pages and, uh, throughout the country and try and total it up, it could be as many as 10,000. Uh, we really don't know um, the size of the problem. My, my view would be give everybody a licence, uh, just give them, uh, check their criminal record, make sure they've got professional indemnity, and then give everybody a license. And then say, in two years' time, we're going to set you an exam to see if you are qualified to be mm-hmm. an investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so initially, by giving everybody a license, you then know how big your target is. Um, in that way, they can then say, okay, um, we need to either set levels, uh, you know, you're an investigator, but you can only do certain things, or you're fully qualified, or the company is fully mm-hmm. qualified. There's various ways, but certainly licensing is something that we really do need in the UK. I totally agree with you. I think, uh, you know, we have... Uh, a few states left in the United States that do not have licensing. Of course, our licensing is state by state for the most part, not not in all cases, but for the most part. And uh, I totally agree with you that um, licensing, having a regulatory agency where somebody can make a complaint to, that they can regulate the the uh, licensees is the the only way to go. Uh, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Now, so, so um, these four men – which are Daniel Summers, Philip Campbell Smith, Graham Freeman, and Adam John Spears. Um, Adam, Adam Spears is an ex-Metropolitan Police Officer. And you, did you know? You didn't know him. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Um, one of the things, I'm reading a BBC News uh, report here, and it says that four of them, or the, all four, were working for private companies, solic- solicitors, and individuals. So did not this... Um, their arrest come back on the solicitors they were working for? Hasn't done so. No, it hasn't done no, so. No, no, no. Um, they they uh, hacked into uh, uh, a computer belonging to Ian Hurst, who is a former British Army intelligence officer. Um, that's that's where it, it, it started, uh, or where it came to light. Uh, and in the the UK, uh, there was a, another organisation making inquiries, and that's the uh, um, Serious Organised Crime Agency, mm-hmm. which is a bit like your FBI. It's made up of police, customs and revenue uh, personnel. They looked at it because of the seriousness of uh, this computer hacking. 
um, they set up their own inquiry, which was separate to the Metropolitan Police inquiry, which was going on into the news of the world hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've they've found inf- information that certainly Daniel Summers was the main person. The others were PIs who used Daniel Summers, um, who was the, the data thief, if you like. Uh, he was the pretexter. Uh, and uh, that's that's uh, how they they caught him. He put his computer up for sale, and, uh, and one of the agents from uh, Serious Organised Crime Agency bought the computer. Uh, now Summers thought he'd wiped the d- disk clean, but in fact he hadn't. So all the information was on that computer disk. And so that's how they caught him and the others. Amazing. I'll bet the other three aren't very happy with him. No. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> My no. goodness. Um, so uh, did they, they didn't have a trial. Yes. They did have well, a trial? They did have a trial. They yes. did have a trial. Yeah. And... Um, but in the UK, this information isn't public until when somebody is sentenced. Yes, it is in the public domain. Yeah, it, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's usually published in news, newspapers. Yeah. All right, we need to take another break. This is just so fascinating. Just stay tuned for more from PI Alan Marr from uh, the UK. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, 
Here's Francie Kaler. I've been talking with British private investigator Alan Marr and talking about the details of PIs, private investigators behaving badly. And as it relates to the News of the World newspaper, now defunct, and to four PIs who were just sentenced for doing things like hacking into a computer. So, Alan, you wanted to talk about um, how they actually went about accessing the telephones, which they can't do anymore, but you, but let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah we're talking about two different things oh, here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, the News of the World is... Scandal is is basically about hacking, and, and it was quite simple. Um, most mobile phones had a default uh, four-digit PIN number, um, and they, the companies expected you to change the PIN number when you bought the phone, but very few people did. Um, so what you would do is you would ring the telephone number of your target, your personality. If it was not answered you would then uh, put in the PIN, the uh, PIN number that was uh, issued by the um, telephone company, hmm. and it, everybody had the same standard PIN number. So it was easy for you to find out what the PIN number was for, say, Vodafone or, or one of the other uh, service providers. I see. And you, you would type that in, and it would ac- access their voicemail. So you could listen to all their information on on the voicemail. Um, in about 2006, most um, telephone companies had uh, been told about this uh, this this practice, uh, and it, it's now not possible to do it uh, mm-hmm. that way. But um, yes, that that's that's hacking. Uh, blagging is, is really pretexting. Pretending to be somebody uh, to try to persuade the people to give you information like banks or mortgage companies or mm-hmm. uh, government agencies, even even law enforcement databases, um, trying to get them to give you the information. And uh, that's, that's what blagging is. Mm-hmm. It's, um, all right, it's, it's deceit. Uh, right. And... Um, in the UK, we have Data Protection Act, and everybody with, uh, who handles personal information is registered with the Information Commissioner. And this question was put to the Information Commissioner. And sometimes it's necessary to use a pretext to obtain information in an investigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has replied on paper that he appreciates that it is necessary under some circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, okay, uh, at what stage do you say blagging is is wrong? Uh, If pretexting is okay, uh, what what level do you take it up to? Yeah. That's that's the problem. There's there's no guidance, really. There's no bright line, that's right. No, no, no. Hmm. So... um, my advice is don't get anywhere near it. The information you obtain, how can you use that information if you've unlawfully obtained it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, the, now, in in the UK, do do the police officers use pretexting in any way? 
they do here in the United States? Mm, probably under some circumstances, yes. Yeah. 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 And 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 therefore the problem. I mean, because if you have some you have somebody that you're looking at that's conducting criminal activity, um, how many ways do you have to uncover that information? That's right. I, I mean, it goes back to searching dustbins for what you call uh, uh, dumpster diving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, is the information um, of use? Uh, are you committing an offence by rummaging through a dustbin? Yes. Uh, you know, um, here in the UK, the answer is yes. You do commit an offence. Yeah. Um, because the dustbin has been left out, not for you to do that. It's been left out to, for the local authority to take away. Correct. So, so um, yeah, it's, it's it's a very difficult area to get into. Um, well, it is it is um, gratifying in a way to know that there are criminal penalties available for people that that cross the line. Yes. Yes, and, there sh- and there sh- quite rightly there should be. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm proud of the profession, uh, and I want it to remain a respectable profession. Uh, all this um, bad advertising, really, for private investigators uh, when these guys get arrested, they're just data thieves. They're not private investigators, uh, to my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I agree with you because uh, private investigators carry the myth of what we've seen in the movies and on TV, the um, all of the Rockfords and and the well, so I'm, forth. I'm sitting I'm sitting here with a blonde on my knee and a bottle of scotch in the drawer. <laughs> Are you really? And, <laughs> no, no. and 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 where is your red Ferrari? <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, wish. I mean. That is a romanticized impression that many people have of private investigators or that uh, we're sneaking around in the bushes and, and doing all kinds of illegal actions. And the reality is it is a legitimate business. We have laws that we follow just like anybody else has to follow. And if we violate those laws, we should be arrested just like anybody else. Sure. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, and I just – want licensing to come into the UK. Um, it, at least it will control things a little bit. Uh, if I want to give some work to somebody, say, in Edinburgh, uh, and I look at yellow pages or something like that, uh, find a, uh, a PI uh, there, uh, I want to make sure that he's got a professional indemnity insurance. I want to make sure he hasn't mm-hmm. just come out of prison. Uh, at the moment, yeah, I can come out of prison and start as a PI tomorrow. Uh, it's it's crazy. Well, and that's good advice for our listeners as well. You know, if somebody is is hiring a private investigator any place in the world, well, yeah, the uh, I mean, yes, certainly. Uh, I mean, look for uh, an investigator who belongs to a legitimate uh, organisation uh, because they will have been vetted. I mean, the Council of International Investigators uh, vets. 
people thoroughly, the Institute of Professional Investigators, the Association of British Investigators, they all have vetting procedures. In fact, I have to submit uh, a form uh, to the Association of British Investigators uh, which certifies that I haven't got a criminal record. Mm -hmm. I have to apply to get a, a copy of uh, my record, uh, and I've got a clean record. But, um, you know, that is... Glad to hear uh, that. <laughs> that's, 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 well, so far, anyway. Uh, that's a, a stipulation uh, of membership that you have to produce um, a proof of that, a proof of prof professional indemnity insurance. Yeah. Um, but there are cowboys out there that, you know, don't, don't do any of these things. Uh, and you, you run a huge risk if you employ somebody uh, like that. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that none of the four that were recently sentenced were members of, of an association because uh, just like uh, um, the prime minister gets tainted with Rebecca Brooks Association, that also happens if somebody's a member of an association and, and something happens where they get arrested. So, you know, it, I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, they had no affiliation um, with your associations in the U.K., Right. And and you're right. I mean, there are uh, various vetting procedures that I know we have to on our National Council of Investigation and Security Services in the United States, which, of course, we do have international members as well. We have to sign off every year when we renew our membership that we don't have anything. <laughs> there was nothing in our background that past year. That's right. Uh, so, well... You've been delightful, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me just mention our featured sponsor of the week, PI Museum. If you'd like to learn more about the history of detective spies and private eyes, go to www.pimuseum.com. And I'm sure these PIs in the UK that have been behaving badly are probably going to be in the museum as well one of these days. <laughs> um, so next week, join PIs Declassified uh, with... Private investigator Candace Tall, who will be speaking on security and safety for women. And March 29th, I'm very excited to announce that former FBI agent Eric O'Neill will be my guest. Eric was the agent who was involved in the exposure of FBI spy Robert Hansen, the subject of the movie documentary Breach. So again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.